Everybody. Welcome to another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. I'm Seth. And I'm Zach. And I'm Barry. And we are the Classic Gaming Brothers and, and Barry. And Barry. That's, uh, honorary. That's, That's right. right. The, the honorary brother. The honorary brother. Uh, Barry, what did you think of our uh, Thanksgiving that you were totally at with uh, all of our other guests? Uh, we invited you out here. You uh, we, you regaled us with stories of your... It was good, but the bird was a little dry. That's because Zach cooked it. It was also ham, but, you know... <laughs> <laughs> that would explain a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, it really would. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we were we were thankful for that you decided to stay and record this with us. It's uh, it's really convenient that you lost your keys and you couldn't get back to your car. <laughs> it was a long drive too, so I, I didn't want to walk. Very true. Very true. It's a long drive for us, and we live upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, just uh, Barry's been on our show before, uh, and we'll talk a little bit about what Barry's up to today but barry has joined us as a guest because not only is he wears a lot of hats over at premium edition games but he's also like a museum collector of gaming things from his his life he is very knowledgeable when it comes to games and not just games that are out today but games that have been out uh, i would say probably forever <laughs> I, I would be surprised if you didn't have like a um the original gaming console just tucked away somewhere in a basement. I, I have an odyssey that was the first home console with interchangeable cartridges. Excellent. In any case, so we, we have Barry here to talk to us about uh, a topic near and dear to him. Uh, but before we get into any of that, do you want to just introduce yourself to our listeners in case they've missed the Premium Edition Lounge or the Indie Dev Lounges that you've been on? So uh, my name is Barry Garenza, and uh, this is my first actual, like, standard official classic gaming That's right. brothers episode That's right. which is yeah. awesome because it's always been the indie or the now the premium lounge and so it's a true honor to finally get on a standard episode because i know we've been we've been talking about it for a while but for those of you that don't know i am one of the founding members over at premium edition games where we release high quality physical releases of digital only titles and uh, we have four of our big titles up right now part of our fifth series uh which is raji an Ancient Epic Enhanced Edition, Thaybleed Pixels, Love 3, and Eagle Island Twist. All of those are available at premiumeditiongames.com, so check it out for all you Switch lovers out there. And I also do um, a co-host over at Nintendo Fuse for the Nintendo Fuse podcast on YouTube and nintendofuse.com. And uh, yeah, like they said, I'm a big gaming historian and gaming collector, and uh, I usually pick up the things that no one else cares about or knows about <laughs> you have a neat collection you've shared some stuff with us prior when we've had you on but just for our listeners because they they can't see you right now barry is currently like in in our view uh has he has a virtual boy over one shoulder i see um like different little figurines in the background he just has a lot of cool stuff uh and um that's why we're bringing him on because we're going to talk about one of those cool things that barry is familiar with which is also a very niche thing that fits in a another form of criteria that the classic gaming brothers have which is talking about topics that really no one cares about <laughs> but <laughs> but we do but uh, as always we're going to talk about what we've recently played so barry you want to start us off what have you recently been playing so uh i recently finished on the switch harvestella which is a farming rpg it's really more an rpg with farming elements so if you're like not really big into farming it's fine it is like a got a final fantasy style story um way deeper than i expected the side quests are fantastic the, the stories are fantastic it blew me away the combat was good the job system was good the, the party members are great i was like this is i did not expect to get this involved into this game 
So kudos to Square and their team. Uh, after that, I played a game called Gunvolt Chronicles Luminous Avenger X2, which if you know the Mega Man franchise or Mega Man X and you're fans of those, uh, you need to play the Gunvolt games because it's the team that did the ZX and the Zero games. And that's a short play. Dude. That's that's like three hours. Uh, and lately I've been playing Pokemon Scarlet and I just finished it today. Uh, at least I, I got to the credits. I'm in the post game now. Uh, and I'll be honest, I've had a blast. I've absolutely had so much fun. Glitches be damned. Yes, Scarlet came out with a little controversy. I'm not into like the Pokemon scene. I think the last I did have, I think I have Shield or Sword. I think I have Sword for the Switch. I think that was the most recent game that I played. But I haven't like seriously played Pokemon since like I would say like red and blue <laughs> but uh i i just know from like a distance and watching it come out that like because i'm part of a bunch of like uh gaming groups and stuff that it was uh there were people that liked it and there were people that were a little angry with it well i'll say this should it run better should it perform better should these glitches be there the answer is no i mean it's game freak there's a lot of money you're talking the number one you know multimedia franchise in the world uh, so absolutely those shouldn't be there. That being said, is the game itself fun? Absolutely. It is a blast. It is probably the best Pokemon game overall in terms of gameplay. If they spent the money to fix the little glitches, the camera, the some of the graphics, uh, the lighting, you know, then it would be even better. And it should have launched that way. I know some people were complaining about the lighting because you, you, you can see like the shadows just change and sometimes it goes from night to day instantly. And then when you get the credits, you look, there's one person on lighting. Like literally one person yeah, doing right. a mainline yeah. Pokemon game. Like that poor guy is probably going like, oh my God, like like it's not his fault. It's one person. He's, you know, probably well overwhelmed. Get the guy a helper or two. Right, you know? yeah, like, yeah. Like back him up a little bit. Jeez, I mean. Seriously. You know, the camera obviously needs work. Um, but I'll, I never had any game game breaking glitches uh some slowdown some periodically some slowdown and some longer load times you know from time to time but never had any issues other than that did it they, they split it up into two games is it scarlet and then what's scarlet the... and violet oh violet okay i just predominantly heard about scarlet so like i didn't even i think that's like the one that people have at least that my, i'm friends with have like leaned into playing oh most of my friends are playing violet oh that's, <laughs> that's funny polar opposite most of my friends bought both, so... <laughs> yeah, well, I'm the same. It's, it's, it's just one of those things where, like, there's little nuances, and one of my probably my biggest pet peeve with it is when you run into a Pokemon, you start a battle, which is fine, that's normal, and it puts your character behind, usually, behind your Pokemon. Sometimes it puts it in front of the other Pokemon, like, it's really weird, but it usually puts your character behind your Pokemon, which is a certain amount of distance away from the Pokemon you ran into. But when you end a battle, there's no, like, invincibility time. So if another wild Pokemon happens to be under you at that time, you instantly start another battle. And there's been times where I had to go through four or five battles, like, all across a field, just running away because I didn't want to get into battles, and it just in just automatically put me into battle after battle after battle and eventually the final battle i didn't get into another one because it actually had my character over a cliff <laughs> and i just fell down the cliff i'm like what the heck happened so uh, they need to make that. like some kind of invincibility time after a battle like just two to three seconds so you can react yeah right, because yeah. it's it's funny because the, the all the other pokemon or other people even are still wandering and doing their path even while you're doing a battle and and it's it's funny because they'll still just run run into you. People will just walk through your battle and stuff. Like no no one pays attention to it. It really feels like one of those games that, from what I've heard, I haven't had a chance to play it. But if they like delayed it a little bit, it probably wouldn't have had as negative of a reaction. It's one of those things where it, this definitely should have had a little more time in the oven, or at least. If not more time in the oven, more manpower behind it. Yeah. Right. Because, yeah, you know, yeah. it's funny because if you look at, like, there's this big open world and you get, you know, take a picture on top of, like, a peak looking out in the valley. And then you compare it to a picture from, like, Xenoblade Chronicles 3 that released also this year. And it's just like, wow, this is the same system. Like, right, yeah. this is this is bad. Like, you'll see, like, oh, look at that mountain. It's just like a brown blob. Yeah. It almost looks like an Atari, you know, like, look pseudo 3D kind of thing. But it, it's, you ever go to, like, a game store and, like a used game and like the case is all messed up or the control the cartridge is all messed up and it's like 10 percent off it's not pretty but it works yeah. right yeah yeah, uh, yeah yeah it's that's this game right it's yeah. not pretty but it's a lot of fun yeah yeah well yeah. that's good to hear well uh recently i've been playing a game that also had some controversy uh and that game is hunt down the free man this game was developed in 2018 by royal radius entertainment and is a first person shooter based on the half-life franchise but unofficial so it wasn't released uh 
uh, it was obviously Valve allows it to be out there. Um, it's on Steam. You can buy it, but it's not with like, it's not officially produced by Valve. Uh, in the game, you play as Sergeant Mitchell Shepard, the brother of Adrian Shepard from Opposing Force. And at the beginning of the game, you are injured by a man wearing an HEV suit who is heavily implied to be Gordon Freeman, but you never see his face. And then you awaken by the G-Man who tells you to go kill the person who attacked you. And that is what your quest to do. You have to hunt down the free man. Does he, um... Does he injure you deliberately or accidentally? He beats you with a crowbar. Oh, okay. Because that'd be funny if he just like accidentally shoved you or something. <laughs> and then you were just like, you were like pissed. Like you're at the like, at the like station or something. And he came off and just like pushed you. And then you were like, oh no. Yeah, no and then I'm like, that'd be really good. Murder no, like, this guy who rubbed me. Just before he jams a crowbar at you, your character says, ah, I'm going to find you. And before I die, I'm going to make sure you're dead um which is a very silly line to have as a very dramatic line um but then when you talk to the g-man the g-man's like you better keep your promise mr mitchell then you have to go hunt down the freeman it's not a very good game i'm not even that far in it and i already see a lot of flaws for one thing there is a parkour feature where you can climb onto things and it feels like they only have the parkour there so you're not doing like box puzzles like you wouldn't have life 2 so instead of like moving a box over to an area to climb up it you now parkour up that area but you can't parkour over everything you can only parkour up very specific areas that are like marked so it's kind of pointless i will say the game looks very pretty um however it is part of the controversy that some of that prettiness might be due to stolen assets <laughs> so <laughs> without saying anything the game does have a lot of controversy in terms of its development in terms of its release there was some issues when it came to the crowdfunding of the game cast is kind of heavily panned mostly because it's filled with like youtubers who are not familiar with the half-life games who voice random characters like keemstar plays the president of the united states also just because you're a youtube personality doesn't mean that you're a voice actor <laughs> no exactly also the audio mixing is awful so when someone speaks to you over like a radio they will sound like they are in the same room as you and there's no radio effect does it does it take place during the actual events of like half-life so the beginning of the game takes place during half-life one and then you're beaten mm. by the man with the crowbar um and then you wake up in the hours of the war between the Combine and the humans just before the humans surrender. It's a prequel to Half-Life 2, but a follow-up to Opposing Force. Uh, anyway, it's it's not a very good game. I'll probably play more of it because I like playing bad games. Uh, Seth, what about you? What have you been playing? <laughs> so uh, recently, during our 24-hour live stream, I played the Journeyman Project 2, Buried in Time. We also beat the original Journeyman Project. Well, not the original Journeyman Project. We beat Journeyman Project Pegasus Prime, which is the first game remastered. But we beat it on stream, and then uh, I played some of the Journeyman Project 2, Buried in Time. I don't know what time I played this game at. Anyway, it was early. It was uh, developed by Presto Studios and was released back in 1997. You can listen back, and we talked about this during our Journeyman Redux episode back in episode 150. And then we also talked about it back on episode four. It's a fun game. It's enjoyable if you enjoy those late 90s adventure games. However, I don't know the game as well as the original of the game, like the original game. So I'm actually pretty slow at playing through it. And because it's a classic 90s adventure game, it, generally you should or it's okay to consult a guide because you will spend a lot of time dying over and over again and resetting yourself. And there's also not necessarily a good save system in place. So if you didn't save, then you might just die randomly and then lose your whole progress for an hour. I think that almost happened to us with um, uh, X Journeyman 1, where yeah, we weren't sure yeah. where our save was. I compulsively save when I play Journeyman, though. Same thing with Journeyman Project Buried in Time, except I don't know the game, so it's, it's a little more confusing for me. However, you do get to go to a space station and get over to the space station by using Cheese Whiz and the commercials also in the game are amazing so there's some positive things going on for the game great fmv acting all around possibly better acting than in uh, hunt down the free man um oh no and... it's definitely better acting than hunt down the free man <laughs> 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 Well, yeah. So uh, today we have Barry on with us to talk about a little console called the Mega Duck, the little console that could, if if we would. <laughs> with the the Mega Duck being a 
a handheld originally developed by Wellbacks holding uh, through their Timelix International division. Barry, tell us about why you are the expert in the Megaduck. I would not call myself the expert in the Megaduck. I would just, <laughs> it's, it's a fascinating console, though. I was first attracted to it by the name. I mean, the name is just absurd. Like, this can't be real. So I looked into it and I was like, all right, I need to, need to pick this up. You know, obviously when I got it, I was doing research on it and there's actually multiple versions of the mega duck because not only is the the well back holdings uh version which is this the white one that you see more commonly but then in germany hartung put it out as a, the hartung mega duck which is black and it's a black mega duck with the hartung logo and uh really interesting that you know two two different companies and they, this happened with a lot of failed handhelds where multiple companies but hartung has done a lot of them um where they'll put their own version out on them um i believe there was also a video jet version of mega duck in i think maybe france i think video jets in france uh i've not ever come across one of those but then in brazil it was released there too but it was actually released by cougar usa and called it the cougar boy which the same console all the games were re-released with the different branding uh it's completely you know interchangeable between the two systems but it's just weird and that never came to america that just stayed in, in brazil and south america and it was just weird that this one console has two different names multiple different publishers you know and each one has their own version and and you would think that would be enough <laughs> but then it goes even crazier because then you have to factor in that, that they tried to get into the the educational young educational field right so so they they put out two versions uh they put out the megaduck super junior computer in europe and that was a little laptop and it played megaduck games and it did have exclusive stuff hartung put it out and that was uh that was over there but then in in brazil they did the same thing they you know and it was called over there the super qq or qq over in in, in, in brazil it's the same thing it's a has, a, has like a little piano in the front that you could play it's got a fake mouse it's not a real mouse the mouse is fake it's got a printer that came with it where you could print like a game boy printer style if you can remember that uh where you could print out things it had a bunch of different applications educational software uh as well as mega duck games that allowed it to play and uh it's just such a bizarre system most people unfortunately have never heard about it and it's pretty ambitious you know it's you know it's small companies pretty ambitious to come out there with this uh, to compete against the juggernaut that was the game boy at the time yeah well back holdings was a uh they they had their hands kind of in the toy market in Asia um, and I think they did some electronics and stuff like that but they weren't really like a game company they weren't making like video games at the time yeah I feel like this is because it's like 89 90 I feel like this is where toy companies still thought that they could make games and like that they were like well we could take a risk and make electronics like how hard is that and I think that it eventually you saw the divisions where toy companies continued to make toys <laughs> and right, game right. companies kind of emerged and made game consoles yeah um, but I think there was this period of time, and this was probably just the tail end of it, where, you know, like, wh whoever, anyone who made up a consumer-grade package electronic oh, yeah. was like, yeah, I can make games, too. I make VHSs, I can make games. <laughs> Milton Bradley yeah. made, made yeah. you know, Microvision, <laughs> and VTech put out the 3D Gamate, and they put out the uh, Variety. So, I mean, you saw all this stuff. Yeah. yeah. The whole thing with the Mega Duck is it is very much a people call it, I think, a Game Boy knockoff, which I think is very unfair. It's a Game Boy competitor. It, it, it definitely and it definitely is aesthetically similar to the Game Boy if you look at it from like a distance. It's got two buttons. It's got a D-pad. Um, it's got a screen. Like it's not playing Game Boy games. It's not like a Game Boy clone. It's playing its own line of games. But it really was the Game Boy that I think set off this whole kind of movement toward knocking Nintendo from their their throne as it would be. Um where the Game Boy came out 89 in Japan and in North America and then in 90 in Europe and then like suddenly there's the Game Gear, there's the Lynx, there's the Turbo Express. But then you have all these smaller companies like cropping up out of the woodwork uh where um one of the first being Bitcore, which they were around forever. I mean, from from a kind of like my spectrum of like unlicensed video games, Bitcore was involved in the early days of Atari 2600 ColecoVision games. And then they also started to make NES and Famicom games, not with the approval of Nintendo. Uh, one of the earliest unlicensed games that came out for the NES was Duck Maze, which was a 
uh, BitCorp game, but they produced the the Gamate Gamite Gamat. I don't know how, how do you pronounce that, Barry? How would you pronounce? I that? say Gamate. Gamate. Yeah, yeah. Which it was a two-button monochrome system. I mean, it looks like a. I think it looks like a Game Gear versus a Game Boy. Um, and it had pretty much clones of Tetris and Bomberman and stuff that you'd find on a Game Boy-like system. And then you have a Watara, of course, which I think the Watara supervision, not to take attention away from the Mega Duck or take any props away from the Mega Duck, I think the supervision is a very cool system for not only the fact that it was also released in the Western world, so the United States had the supervision, but it made it on Legends of the Hidden Temple as a prize, and it was a prize for the premiere episode of the short-lived The New Price is Right, um, which that's kind of cool that this like weird almost similar looking to a Game Boy system was the like go-to prize for people in game shows in the 90s. Imagine watching, so I I love Legends of Hidden Temple. I love in the episodes where like they win a game system because in the early days it'd be like you win a Sega Genesis or you win a Saturn but then like imagine winning a Supervision (laughs) like like your best friend goes on the show the next year and gets a Sega Saturn and you got the Supervision. (laughs) like well the supervision was was a really unique uh, anomaly too because that also got multiple releases uh what you know just across the different countries and all different countries have different versions of the supervision but there were two models of the supervision so the one we got here in the states was actually the second model which had the bigger screen up top and it had a bendable it was actually bendable screen but the hinge which is yeah yeah which was really really clever but the first model which we didn't get actually looked just like the game boy flat out game boy it was a game boy style and it was pretty innovative because they also had the tv link where you actually could plug in the supervision plug it into your tv and play on your tv Uh, and i think that might have been done before like the super game boy even and it also would add um rudimentary color to some of the games Uh, i've seen people play it I mean, it's not as, it's not like you're getting a wide spread of color, but, but it would add a little color, which I think was, that's something to, that's something right there. I think that's kind of a whole thing in itself because you're appealing to a, a, to a home market as well as on the go market. Was it the travel mate that was, uh, travel mate was the first one from Watara. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Travel mate supervision. And then there was the supervision with the, the standard, like the Game Boy style, then the bigger screen with the bendable. And then of course there's the Magnum and the video jet which are a completely different model of supervision yeah. as well. Yeah, I think that's something cool that you see. Uh, you don't, I mean, obviously you don't get that with Nintendo or like Sega, but you did see these companies kind of adapting this idea of like, well, you can put out a supervision, <laughs> you know, you can, you can do this. Uh, they're hundred percent compatible with the games usually, but uh, it's just, I don't know. It's kind of, I think it was a, it was kind of a neat part on the companies to, I think it was a cost saving method to, to be able to license I, I it out. I think what happened is, especially in Europe where the, you know, you talk about the United States, we're all, you know, all part of the same country, yeah. but in Europe, obviously each country is different and each country has different, regulations to get into right, so yeah. each one has its own you know company that says hey we'll take on that technology and release it and even even you know the gamete we talked about you know and in, in some countries it was released under gig put it out but mm-hmm. the system itself is the same like if you had two unboxed ones you wouldn't be able to tell the difference the only difference is the box they just changed the packaging there and it's really frustrating because you can't tell which version you have however in korea uh, there were two different versions one korea one chinese uh, and they actually have chinese characters instead of writing out gamete and and uh, each of them, they call them different things and they're different characters. Um, so those ones, slightly, very similar boxes. Yeah. That one, at least you can tell. Uh, it, it's just a weird way they did it because there's still, like, there's no documentation on how many different versions of some of these consoles are. And the closest we had here in the States was probably something like the CDI or the 3DO, where Philips yeah, and, yeah. and Panasonic, like, lent their technology to Gold Star and to LG and to Sony and, and whoever wanted to make a version of their systems yeah new on as well oh and, yeah uh, yeah Samsung the new one and, yeah and toshiba I, I also think that like when you're looking to enter into a new market there's you know a lot of work that goes into it trying to sell across into a different country and it's easier to find somebody that you can just send stuff to and then they have the distribution relationships because you know it was the 90s so like the internet wasn't a thing that you bought stuff on you still had to go to a store so you still had to like get right. your distributors lined up 
up and if you you know like if you were based in hong kong you're probably going to have difficulty getting like a french distribution market in with with any sort of like flexibility so yeah right sell the sell it just license and sell it off but like um like barry was saying there were some countries that also just had really strict restrictions i mean brazil for example uh, notoriously it was very hard to get imported electronics into the market that's how companies like tech toy got their start was because sega came in and said hey you're going to release the sega systems you're going to put it under your name because you're a brazilian company so you won't have to worry about the same issues we would have to worry about i think a lot of these companies they looked at the game boy and they figured out it was simple like in reality, the original Game Boy was 100% simple, and they looked at what Atari and what Sega did, because the Lynx and the Game Gear were, were also 89. Like They all came out very, very close, and especially Sega was aggressive to Nintendo, and we saw what happened. The battery life couldn't support the color at the time, and both systems failed. And while the Turbo Express was a phenomenal system, which came out just slightly after, it was also different in the sense that it played console games, it played the Turbo yeah, games. Yeah, right. And and it was already a, a very small market interested in it. So it wasn't really much of a competitor. So all these looked at this cheaper Game Boy one out, right? Game with a monochrome screen, the two buttons, simple games, and it won out. Well, we that's cheaper for us to do. We could do something similar. And they the, all these companies did that, including, you know, with the, with the Megaduck. The problem was is they went cheap. Yeah, like, trying yeah, to be as yeah. cheap as possible and where it suffered was the screen and the, the the screen refresh rate and that's where a lot of these games are super blurry and the game boy didn't even have the best refresh rate it was blurry as hell but these were these were even worse obviously no backlight and of course they charged i think like the mega duck was like 50 bucks or whatever or something like it was, it was really cheap in, yeah, in yeah. retrospect back then and that was their way of getting in and we've seen either even big american companies tiger electronics try to do it with the GameCom, the GameCom yeah, yeah and then i was you know with the r zone and like hey let's try and do let's try and be cheap and let's try and get in there and and they even had licensed games and it's still what was the, what's the biggest problem with the GameCom is the the screen is blurry as hell and the refresh rate is terrible and the yep. games run you know really really slowly and it could have been an amazing system if they yeah. put a little more money into it but right. they didn't they wanted to be cheap and get it out there and make some money yeah. and you know you they that's it they just wanted to be the knockoff yeah they wanted to be the wish version of the game boy and they were fine with that because they didn't have a lot of money into it and the games were cheaply produced and a lot of them were clones yeah and a lot of them were made by a company that was very at least for the mega duck and for the supervision a lot of the games were made by a company that was kind of not really caring too much about whether or not the games were clones in the first place which was Sachin, which seth and i uh, previously did an episode on um Sachin being a company that had their hands in unlicensed games for the nes and also unlicensed games for the game boy but a lot of their games are just kind of like other games right especially for consoles like um the supervision or the mega duck where you have games that are kind of like tetris but they're not tetris i think on the mega duck the game is called stortress one i don't know why it's called that but it looks identical to tetris but sometimes the squares have more than four blocks on them sometimes they have five or six um or they have another game i saw which was ant soldiers which is just lemmings but with ants to the point where the first stage in ant soldiers is literally the first stage in lemmings but with ants like they they were not being very subtle about this i think what Sachin does it, it did especially during this time is they saw what was popular and they said well we can make that for this thing i feel like the mega duck is like the definition of the uh we have game boy at home type of meme oh absolutely in the mega duck's defense despite maybe some of the games not looking great it actually ran the exact same CPU as the Game Boy, which was a Sharp LR35902 CPU clocked in at 4.9 megahertz. As a comparison, the Supervision was running a 6.5SCO2 processor, 4 megahertz. So the Supervision was technically a little, a little less powerful than the, the Mega Duck. Uh, but I think it's interesting that the Mega Duck shared the literal same CPU as the Game Boy uh, because it kind of shows you that it's it's not necessarily how powerful your system is. I think the Game Boy showed everybody it's not how powerful your system right. is. But also, it's the talent you have that can work with that power. So, looking at the collection of games on the Mega Duck, it's, it's puzzle games, it's some action games, it's some platformers. And then you look at what was available for the Game Boy, and it's Legend of Zelda, and it's Final Fantasy, and it's Castlevania, and it's like big names and some of those were great castlevania not so much but legend of zelda i mean link's awakening is probably one of the best zelda games period it's one of my favorite ones it's my favorite period 
And, and I think what that tells you is that when you have talent working on these systems that weren't necessarily super powerful, you get quality out of them. Sachin wasn't really talent. I think Sachin has a bad rep. I think some of their games aren't as bad as people say. I, for one, am a fan of Pyramid. But at the same time, I think there's just kind of when you're trying to churn out all these games to be like you buy a Mega Duck and there's already 30 games on the market. Well, all those games were made at the exact same time. So they're, they're, they're going to show that quality sort of deal you know well they were produced cheaply and they were sold cheaply and that was the idea is here's a game boy game and it was like 34.95 or whatever and here's our game for 19.95 and it's you know at this time gaming wasn't what it is today parents now grew up as gamers so they're well informed of what's good and what's not you know it was all the wild west pretty much so a lot of parents i'm sure were just like looking and being like oh well this is cheaper i can get two games for the for this right, almost the same right, price yeah. as one on the Game Boy, that's more value for the kid. The kid's going to enjoy it. And as kids, you know, you don't have no, can't say much. You're just happy to get anything. And that's what they were preying on. Yeah. They were preying on people saying, oh, here's the Mega Duck and here's the Game Boy and our system is, you know, 30 bucks cheaper and our games are cheaper and therefore it's more attractive. Yeah, yeah. Me- Mega Duck was the system that when you told your grandma to go buy Johnny his Game Boy, then <laughs> that's what she bought. <laughs> the equivalent, uh, you know, they went to the store and the store said hey look you can get a mega duck and all these games for the same price think about that and they were oh yeah sure that sounds like a good idea no there was no internet there was no reviews and these systems didn't you know go into magazines really to be reviewed no, no. no yeah, <laughs> there's yeah, like no yeah. record of most of these systems right yeah let alone yeah. the games so it was easy so i think that's actually a good segue how did you first learn about the mega duck and what drew you to it i was going down an old YouTube well well over a decade ago, the infancy of YouTube, and I just happened to come across a channel that was talking about different handhelds. And it was, you know, here's the Game Boy, here's the Game Gear, and was, here's the Mega Duck. What the heck is the Mega Duck? I'm like, I've never heard of this. It was over a decade ago. It was probably 2010. And I clicked it and I watched this. That is the most bizarre console name I've ever heard i have to have it uh so i started looking and you know i was able to find one and i was like okay cool and then i heard the game the cougar boy i'm like i had to get the cougar boy and then the heart tongue version and then i'm like well now these were loose now i want to try to find them boxed and then the the, the super junior computer what's that and you know like i gotta find that and finding that took me a while and then the super qq took me like another like a decade since i heard about it to finally get a super qq and it's like oh my god like this is crazy like it's such a rabbit hole yeah yeah uh and there's so few information about it. Like one of the things I got for the Super Junior computer, it was a, a memory card. It was literally a cartridge just for memory. I found it on this weird foreign site that it was like a, it was almost like a wish for another foreign site. And they just happened to have a copy. And I was like, you ship to America? Okay, I'll buy it. And sure enough, here it is, boxed and everything. I'm like, this is so weird. Like who would have this right. stuff still? Like. <laughs> They're like, you'll so give been... us money for this? Yeah. Oh, thank you. It's been sitting in the warehouse for so long. You know, and it, it's been a fun challenge to track them down. I think that's most of the fun is finding. You know, it's it's cool to get it. It's cool to set it up and to be able to talk about it. But, you know, if something is going to take you a decade to find, it's about the journey. It's about, hey, will I find it today? Is, is today the day? Just waking up every day being like, got to find that mega duck. I, I, it's my saved search. I found it. Yeah. <laughs> do you uh, do you currently have all of the known mega duck models or, or what are you missing? The video jet mega duck uh, is one I do not have. I think that's the that's the only one because I, I think that's just the the standard mega duck the and then the uh the heart tongue mega duck and the cougar boy and then the super junior computer and the qq there might be another model that i'm forgetting that maybe one site mentions and that's about it and who knows how truthful that is uh you know and a lot of it is stuff that again it was just the box so if the boxes were destroyed and the consoles look the same that version of that console could exist but you would have no way of knowing because the systems are exactly identical oh yeah yeah so yeah. and that's the thing when there was actually branding on the individual systems it was great because you knew what you were getting but a lot of that stuff it was just cheap because like if we have to put our own branding on there we need a new sticker or we need to affect the mold somehow if we just have to print up a box and we have the dimensions that you use in your country and we just take your innards and go 
and maybe we put a different booklet in there. It's super cheap to do, and that's what a lot of countries did. Uh, like the Cougar Boy is specifically branded as Cougar Boy versus yes, Mega Duck. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Were there any ducks on the Mega Duck? There was a mascot on the Super Junior computer. It's amazing. There's actually a, a mascot for the Super Junior computer, and it's a little duck with like a cape. <laughs> is he in any software? Or is he just like on the? the oh device? no, I think there is a duck game. Yeah, there is a duck game, but but it's I don't think it's the same duck. Oh, maybe it is. That duck should have been the mascot and like, that should have been the Sonic of the Mega Ducks. It, it was. It just didn't do anything. <laughs> when is Duck from the Mega Duck going to be in Smash? Now, that is the question that we need. <laughs> but it's so weird because it's only on the Super Junior computer. It's not in the Super QQ, which was, you know. And that's what's weird about that one because that was in Brazil. But that's actually called the Mega Duck Super QQ. It's not called the Cougar, Cougar Boy Super QQ. They kept the Mega Duck name with, with that one. Uh, I don't know why, but they did. But yeah, there is a weird duck only on the Super Junior computer uh, as their mascot, so to speak. And you could look it up. But yeah, but the, the, and that's the reason the Super Junior computer was Hartung, remember. So it was done by the you know by german company so it wasn't the same original manufacturer they dated the hardtug mega duck and the super junior computer and that's just what's so interesting is that that computer was not released in other countries of, of europe it was just germany what i think is really interesting about the mega duck is i think it, it came out in 93 the original game boy came out in 89 there's a substantial gap in time where people have either already bought a game boy or have bought a Supervision, so they have a cheaper Game Boy. So, like, the audience for the Mega Duck is just no longer there. I feel like that was, like, that was an issue. Arguably, I feel like the the Mega Duck was competing, I feel like, more against, like, the Tiger Electronics and, like, their knockoff consoles, as Barry mentioned earlier. Like, they weren't really, they weren't really going after Game Boy's market share. They were just, like, we'll go after Tiger Electronics market share. And if they were going after Tiger Electronics market share, they would have released in places where Tiger Electronics had a market, which was the United States. Tiger Electronics That's was true. not a European or Brazilian market. Well, I meant market. just like the knockoff, <laughs> like, the knockoff market. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't think they were even trying to capture any market share. I think they looked at this as let's spend like a gamble almost. Let's spend you know, X amount of money, it's not a lot, let's see what we could do, and let's see how much we make. Yeah. And hopefully we get in, we sell a bunch of units before people realize they're absolute garbage, and, and then we done. get out. And then let's shove it in a laptop shell and do it all over again. Oh, well, that was, that was German. That was Germany. That was Germany. <laughs> so that, that's when they said, hey, Hartung, you put out, you know, versions of the, the Supervision and the Game Master, why don't you take this? Yeah, right. <laughs> and they're like, sure, we could keep doing this all day. <laughs> now uh do you have a favorite game on the mega duck I, I assume you've played it or played it once or just to see if it worked i've played very little because it's uh, i have better things to do with my <laughs> <laughs> but but of course the the infamous snake roy uh you know the the box art is awesome but truthfully i hate to say this but i you know snake on the ti-83 calculator is better and i played a hell of a lot of You're that you're not wrong i mean snake roy is not a good game i think it just has the best box are in the best name of any video game ever like roy is supposed to represent king but it's just it's like it's just snake roy <laughs> it just looks silly yeah the box art looks like cover for dune <laughs> yeah that's what i was gonna say it's very dune-esque uh box art with um the, the, the sandworms yeah the god yeah it looks like god emperor yeah with the yeah. face on it yeah oh gosh how like how disappointing though right you get that box art and you feel like the game's going to be something like something maybe you know versus what you get like it's like night and day where it's just like wow this box art just does to, not line up with my expectations to be fair the nintendo you know the super nintendo the genesis all had games like that. that's oh, true yeah, no yeah, no yeah, it's no. i think it was just a product of the time what, what was yeah. his, uh the shoot him up with the guy the old guy phalanx yes phalanx <laughs> just the guy just He's playing like, a banjo playing a banjo and it's a shoot him up it's like nothing to do with the guy playing a banjo uh, at all oh just good old yeah yeah yeah, they just were like, what What will get somebody to pick this game up and buy it? I feel like if I didn't know what Snake Roy was, and I saw the cover, and I saw the name, and then I played the game, I'd be like, I'm disappointed, but that makes a lot of sense. I feel like there was a less of a return, even like 20 years ago, where people bought stuff, and if it was garbage, they just 
threw it away or they just put it somewhere like they didn't demand quality like I feel like we do today like even I was talking to somebody at work and they were talking about how like oh you know like if you want need to do stuff after Christmas to do your like Christmas returns on the day after Christmas I'm like I'm hopefully not having to spend an entire day doing Christmas returns right (laughs) but like I feel like there's just like this like desire for getting the best product that's I think kind of emerged with like Amazon and like we're now in like a review culture where we don't buy something unless it's got really good reviews and it's just like um versus back then where you bought something and if it was bad it was too much of a hassle to bring it back it it's true and well especially when it's cheap i mean if a game cost you 20 bucks you know it was like all right whatever you know my, give it to my kid my kid complains and be like well play it anyways you know like that's what you have you should be lucky back in my day we walked uphill both ways in the snow you know it, it was it was that culture and i think that's also one of the interesting things about the 80s and then even the 90s was you know if you went to a friend's house you know they had a different game library than you did like we all had similar we all had mario and we all had you know zelda and stuff like that but but when it came to the third party releases it seemed like everybody had different titles and if you went over there it was like oh this is great and that's how you traded games yeah. oh yeah let yeah, each yeah. other borrow yeah. like and that's one of the things where where if you didn't have that return culture you didn't have like oh i need to get rid of this and get better because if we demanded quality you know companies like LJN wouldn't exist. Uh, so we we had to suffer through it and they they figured, hey, it worked. Let's sell, you know, let's let's put these put these games out there where we sell a thousand of them and we're making, you know, let's say ten dollar profit, fifteen dollar profit on it, you know, times a thousand. That's pretty damn good for for very little work. And the box art they knew that's all they had was the box art mm-hmm. on, on yeah. those games. And they they did something that felt they could attract. You know, you probably would have been disappointed, like I said, with Snake Roy, or you would have understood. But that box art would have been like, what is this? Yeah. I, I have to have it. It sold the game. Yeah. Boom, it did its job. That's all That's it right. needed to do. Yeah. It's it's a very different culture. Would it would it success today? Uh, no, it didn't have success then. It <laughs> absolutely would be dead in the water today. Yeah. And that's why you saw in the 80s, in the 70s, really, 70s, 80s, 90s, early 2000s even, you had all these companies trying their hand. And if you look at it now, you have the big three, mm-hmm. and then you have the one or two offshoots. You have the Evercade, which is doing its own thing, and that's surviving. And then you have the Amico, if that ever wants to come out, whatever that cluster screw is. <laughs> yeah. And then everything else you have, you have things like Analog, which are you know putting out high-quality versions of a pre-existing system. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're not reinventing the wheel. That's what they're doing. Uh, you, you don't see these other companies really stepping into it at this yeah. point because gaming has been like these are the big three we're really not going to make any mark i mean steam tried it with the steam you know steam deck you know and that's doing okay but steam was already an established name right, right. you know for so long valve valve had steam for so long you know but the steam box failed miserably failed miserably steam box is so, horrible steam deck is so, doing well though oh you had stadia google tried with stadia that that failed miserably and is dead there is the play date which the is play date doing their, out, which yeah. is unique but it's very niche well that's the thing is in, in this era of games to make a game console you have to be niche and you can't expect to do as well as any of the big three obviously but like evercade's niche is that they are cartridge based games it's it's still a niche i would say i mean they it's an inexpensive system compilations too. and compilations yeah but like the only reason people are picking up evercade's is because it fills that niche of collecting physically having a cartridge that you can chunk into your system turn it on and have the game or games because it's it's compilation based but it's also cheap yeah 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 no that's and that's and that's an appeal and i love that um and their systems are only 100 bucks not that we're sponsored by evercade but the the vs is only 99.99 which is pretty good for the games that you get on it but uh, another thing i think that's important is that we live in a world now where the restrictions in certain countries are not the same as they were back in the 90s. I mean, the Soviet Union has fallen, so there's no restrictions really in most of Europe when it comes to consoles. In Brazil, they are much more open to allowing outside industries come in. South Korea, they're not having issues with Japan bringing in outside stuff anymore. That was a huge thing where, like, Samsung had to put out the Sega because it was a Korean company. And nowadays, like, every now and then, something I do, because I'm interested in unlicensed stuff, is I go into markets 
in other countries. So I look at, I like change, I go onto a VPN, I set myself to like some random country and I look at Facebook Marketplace and you could just get Wii games or Switch games. It's nothing different than it was, but if this was back in the 90s, it wouldn't be like that half the time. I mean, it, it wasn't until the late 90s that the NES came to Brazil. So it's, I think it's a very different world that we live in versus back then where I think the Mega Duck did fit a niche for some people i mean especially in places like brazil where the game boy wasn't necessarily incredibly common having the cougar boy was probably a nice alternative but that's not the case anymore we don't have that i mean if you want to switch you can get a switch absolutely and it's funny because you know we talk about our childhood you know we have with nintendo with sega and with sony and microsoft and you know for people out there you know that was their childhood oh yeah, yeah i had a cougar boy oh yeah i had a mega duck like oh, that's yeah, what yeah. i played that's what my parents got me uh you know i they have nostalgia for yeah. for it and obviously we in the states never did because it never came here but it's just interesting because every country was very different when it came to consoles it was a new market you still relatively new i mean it was the late 70s when when it really took off and after the game you know crash of 83 and rebirth and you know 85 we really were still in the infancy and the market was nowhere near what it is today so I love that these anomalies had a chance to exist. Yeah, yeah. me too. Um, yeah. It's just, to me, it's fascinating. Uh, it's just a shame that, you know, so much of it is forgotten to time or lost to time. Because even you're talking 93, you know, we're recording this practically 2023, you know, so you're talking 30, you know, 30 yeah, years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and in 30 years, how many, how many systems survived? How many were thrown out or broken yeah. or dropped or given away or put in a box in someone's attic that's still sitting there for the last, yeah. you know, 25 years we don't know so these things get increasingly rarer and rarer and as more people discover them they say oh i would like one of those and then the demand goes up but the supply is never going back up right ever the supply is a set so you're just going to see prices rise uh as more people discover this and like right now you can get them relatively cheap i mean a couple hundred bucks still um because it's still very niche but if it does pick up, if people start discovering, if people start caring, the truth is people need to care. I mean, I don't know how many people listening to this right now are going to go, wow, that's such an interesting console, interesting history. I really need to have one. And how many are going to go, that's an interesting history, but I'm fine Googling the image and <laughs> right, going, that's yeah. neat. And that's it. <laughs> yeah. um, and how many will just be like, I don't give a crap. But but for those that say, I would like to have one, I think that's really interesting. Um, That's where if enough people are doing that, that's where you're going to see the price rise and certain things you know who knows like especially if it's boxed how many boxes exist you know yeah. oh yeah I've, yep. I've i've been searching for over a decade and i found one hartung uh, megaduck box one and i was like wow <laughs> yeah that's a problem with cardboard boxes right i mean they yep. they either degrade or they get tossed out people did that and that's it's unfortunate because now of course like uh, games and cardboard boxes go for a bajillion dollars sometimes but like well it's the same thing you saw with like comics and with with baseball cards and anything that's collectible it's only collectible after it was because people didn't think it was and now suddenly people want to go back and there's less of them out there that's the only reason and to to your point there still has to be interest for it too right there's some things that were collectible and there are things that they also like can go with the generation right so like maybe a couple generations earlier may have been really big into baseball cards but as that generation gets older and moves on um the newer generations may not be so interested in baseball cards yeah and like different people you collect things primarily I feel like it's primarily because of nostalgia is a, a really a driven part of a collector deciding to collect things uh, beyond maybe thinking that you can make some money. But it's it's interesting to um, to see things become popular and become unpopular. Even like COVID drove the popularity of certain card games back up temporarily as people were stuck at home and needed to do something and were driven mad with boredom that like people were buying star wars collectible cards again which is like what like i could have sold these for pennies on the dollars and now i can sell them for 300 bucks like it's like (laughs) what is going on but so it's it's interesting to see how life really pushes the demand for various different products you know and then like like you said there's things that have been made are not going to be remade especially if the companies that made them are gone if the demand spikes then there'll be a run on the inventory 
it's one of the reasons beyond just I think my weird interests, but one of the reasons I'm enjoying the unlicensed market right now is because half the time people don't care. <laughs> like there's there is some areas where I've seen things go up in price. Um, it's actually interesting because I have friends who live over in uh, Taiwan and live over in Thailand and stuff like that, and they're into bootleg games. And they said even there, it's the market is drying up. Like they said, it's it's almost like the retro market here, where games that used to be sold on the cheap are now going for more and more money because. It's it's the same thing. It's like people are getting into them. But at the same time, it's like I can browse around on some random sketchy website in China and find like a stack of Famicom games for pretty cheap. So we'll go with that. You know, I think that's the fun part about collecting is going for something that other people aren't. Yeah. Like discovering. Yeah. That's how I started this. You know, I started a niche with handhelds because I'm like, there's so few, so little information about these systems. Nobody is going for them. Very few people have them listed. And, you know, I was like, oh, you know what? Let me go for them. Let me, let me let me buy them, you know, and I fell in love with them. Just, just the history of them and, and discovering them and all the different intricacies between the different countries. And I love that it's still something niche that a lot of people, you know, haven't like glommed onto because of the, the few things I'm missing. But there are groups now that are going for the, those very things and like some of the fewer pieces I've had to get. If I find a piece I don't have, it's it's a rarer piece and I've had to fight for them, <laughs> you know, oh, yeah, bidding yeah, wars yeah. and stuff. And I'm like, where do you, where do you people come from? This hadn't happened before. Yeah, you know? right. Yeah, and there, but I mean, it's still a small minority. But all it takes is two people. All it takes is two people to start a bidding war. That's it. Mm-hmm. And you know, if you see something like on eBay and go, ah, you know, it's it's not a bad price. Maybe I'll get it. All it takes is one person, one other person in the entire planet to say, oh, I'll take it, yeah. and you're gone. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, oh man, like when you think about it that way, it's you have to wonder how many other people are in in this niche. Uh, and it it is it is really true how you know you go for the popular stuff, you can have all this competition. But at the same time, when you go for the the smaller stuff even though you may have 10 15 people gunning for it if you get together in a community you could really make a tight-knit community of people who actually have the same ideas and the same mindset and even help each other you know there's people who i used to compete with uh now we work together and if they get a double or something they'll like hey i yeah, found this yeah. weird thing in china you ever hear about this system i'm like no i never heard about it. it's like well i got an extra couple of games and in the system if you want and i'm like oh yeah sure thanks uh so it's really interesting and trading back and forth and I, it's it's weird <laughs> systems like the mega duck actually bring people together now in 2022 yeah right yeah yeah no i think that's great it's like uh, you kind of said at the at the top you know like uh it's the the friends you make along the way it's really it's the journey of collecting versus collecting itself it really is and especially when you find that community that isn't hostile right i mean the the i think there are communities out there that can be a little aggressive (laughs) when it at least at least from what i've seen but when you find like the niche community out there that is is close to you and you have this like you know a uh, good r- rapport with people and and people appreciate you know your contributions and stuff you know you get into that place where you can trade easily or you can uh, get someone's double or, or etc you know and that's just it the hoarding tendencies where it's like oh you know only 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 and some people will will buy multiple for the hopes of, hey, I'm the only one who has it. I control the market, and if you and that, that's that's even even worse. Well, with that, with with that, I think that's a good segue now um, over into our retro rewind segment. But uh, any any last minute thoughts on the Mega Duck before we jump jump away, Barry? I'd say if this conversation interested you, uh, definitely check out you know the Mega Duck and all other rare obscure handhelds because you know a lot of people think that the handheld wars, if you will, were the Game Boy, the, the Game Gear many forget the links even existed or the turbo express and then obviously from there you know went down the line until sony entered with the psp versus the ds and that wasn't the case there were a lot of systems in between and a lot of systems that came after you might be uh, surprised at what you find because it's just a weird history of forgotten handhelds uh, i do also want to say that if if anyone does have a emulation box of some form the mega duck is supported in retroarch and uh there's a core in retroarch and i I think it's probably one of the better ways to play the games if you want to just play the games. That way you don't have to deal with the screen. <laughs> so like I have on my Ambernick, I, I was playing Mega Duck games um, a few days ago and I was like, you know what? This is not how the games are intended to be played. But at the same time, this is how they should be played. <laughs> when they're emulated, they actually look pretty good. Like the, the graphics are a little more intricate, I think, than people give them credit for because you couldn't tell. 
with the screen being so bad. But uh, anyway, uh, we'll get into our retro rewind. So Barry, what's a retro game that you've been playing recently that you've uh, dug your teeth into? Uh, I went back and played a little bit of a game called Radiant Historia. That was for the DS and, and later the 3DS. Uh, I was on a podcast talking about the, the game. So I was like, oh, you refresh on, on some of the stuff. It was just a phenomenal JRPG if you haven't played it yet. It's like Chrono Trigger in the sense that it has time travel. It's 16-bit and it's got a really deep story with uh, two different timelines. Uh, if you play the 3DS version, actually, it's an extra timeline. But uh, you bounce between the two timelines and different events occur. And you take knowledge from one timeline into the other timeline to create new branching paths and and uh keep going forward and and it's just really deep it's got a great combat system where you you can really change the the orders the the turn orders around and actually let the enemies take turns yeah. so that you get critical hits and stuff like that uh great cast of characters very very deep storyline not too cryptic even with the storytelling of course with the 3ds version they made it a little bit better uh where you could uh see where which npcs had quests and stuff like that oh that's good On a, it's an atlas game i mean it's a it's just a gem of a of a title it came out very late in the DS right before the 3DS launched and uh, the 3DS obviously it launched right right as the Switch was launching or right after the Switch I think so um, it, it both systems it came out late and was pretty forgotten about which is a shame because it's it's truly a game if you enjoy JRPGs and you enjoy titles like Chrono Trigger and you haven't played you're really missing out you need to play this I think Atlas is such an interesting company they always feel like to me at least with some of their later games and or actually even some of their early games they're like the A24 of video game companies just like their games are always very good quality and when they're not very good quality they're still pretty good games <laughs> even some of their not great games I mean like friday the 13th is a bizarre game but it's not bad it's pretty ambitious i think for an nes game and i always forget that they they made friday the 13th and it was <laughs> like that's wild to me but yeah like i mean it goes back to like digital devil story megami tensei and stuff like that yeah, of course this is up there and if more people played it it would be i i would think it would be up there with like the persona it's that good of a game. Nice. That's cool. No, you say Chrono Trigger, and I'm already my ears are already perked. Yeah, I love Chrono Trigger. Well, the game that's my retro rewind is Mystic Defender, uh, which was a 1989 slash 1990, 89 Japan. Uh, 1990 in the US and EU. Game for the Sega Genesis. It was developed and published by Sega. Uh, you play as a guy whose name is Joe Yamato. Uh, and Joe Yamato has to save a woman named Alexandra from an evil sorcerer named Zareth. And Joe has the power to shoot fireballs from his hands. <laughs> and that's pretty cool. It's apparently based on a anime slash manga, which I was not familiar with, called uh, Kujoku O. And it's also a sequel to a game that I've never played called Spellcaster for the Master System. But that gives me uh, an anime to watch and a master system game to go play so i i think mystic defender is an okay game uh we actually own a copy of it seth when we got did we yeah so when we got our sega genesis model one from dan it came with a copy of mystic defender in the box that he gave it to us with it reminds me a lot of jewel master it's a yeah. like 2d but it's it's 2d but it's in that sense of 2d where it, it is a very flat 2d <laughs> like jewel master right. is very flat um like there just doesn't feel like there's a lot of depth in the game but 2d platformer action platformer so you're throwing fireballs you can collect different power-ups so instead of the jewels you collect just like they're just drops and you can get like a fire fire flamey thing that you can use and there's like another yeah. special attack i think there's like a homing attack you can use can you mix mingle powers like you can jewel master and that's why Jewel Master is a superior game. But Mystic Defender seems cool. Uh, it is is pretty cool. And I, I do want to check out at least the prequel. And uh, I might, I don't know, I might read like the manga or watch the anime. I, I don't, I haven't watched an anime in a very long time. And I feel like watching one from the 90s is in my little wheelhouse of things that I do for no reason. So uh, I'll probably go hunt down a copy of it. So for my retro rewind, and, and just in case anyone's listening to this, we're not necessarily playing the games that we told we were going to play we just don't play the games when guests are on if that makes sense for yeah 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 those right. who are listening yeah, you, you gave me vector you man even... last time and uh, yeah i'm not talking about vector you... man yet that's right well so zach will talk about vector man in our episode when it's just us assuming barry doesn't get locked in here and is stuck with us for the rest then then zach will have to 
talk about Vector Man with Barry. Um, but uh, it sounds so, like an interesting. <laughs> Barry just <laughs> never gets out. Uh, we don't know. Barry uh, might love Vector Man. It might be his favorite Sega Genesis game. I've actually never played. Vector, uh, Vector Man's a good game, but it was not the game that I was playing. It was my retro rewind. <laughs> <laughs> the game that I played for my retro rebind was Nox, N-O-X, which was developed by Westwood Studios and released back in 2000. And you play as a guy named Jack. Uh, I really like this because I feel like um, the kid in King Arthur's Court probably came out right around this time with this game did and it's just it feels so much like a kid in king arthur's court because you play this guy named jack and you get sent back in time to the like the the middle ages where you, but it's like a steampunk middle ages and you get to be there be a warrior a wizard or a conjurer which is kind of like a druid style of class i played as a warrior because i have no imagination and i it just wanted to beat things with my sword it's actually a, a really a good hack and slash diablo clone and it's decidedly a diablo clone they did make this after diablo and they were like ripping on diablo's idea but it is actually really engaging and i actually went into this game being like i'm gonna play a little bit of this enough so that i could talk about it and i ended up playing a lot more than i was originally intending to because it was actually a pretty fun game you start off as like just a dude in like t-shirt and jeans and you're in the middle middle ages and you go into this town and you have to do a gauntlet like that's the thing that you have to do i don't know why you have to do this gauntlet there was probably also a video but i don't i didn't see it like the intro i had no idea what the context was i was just like this guy with t-shirt i knew i was from the future because i was wearing jeans and t-shirts and a sneaker and that was the only reason why because i didn't i think i just did like um i didn't do the option for the story i just did like i want to play the game and so they're like going through this gauntlet and i was like okay but they're like but you need sponsorship to go into this gauntlet. So I'm like, okay. And so there's like this engineer guy. He's like, I'll sponsor you if you clear out this monster from this cave. So I was like, sure. So I go to this orchard where these bats were chasing around these women and I had to save them. And I was like, why is nobody, this is next to the town. I was like, why is nobody over here saving these people? They're just getting tormented by bats and I have to come and save them. So then I did, killed the monster in the cave, got sponsored, ran through the gauntlet, which was a kind of cool, like, puzzle game in a hack and slash game and um accomplished the gauntlet and then the engineer got kidnapped so i had to descend into the actual dungeon underneath the city and yeah so it's it's fun it plays pretty quick uh you don't really need context as clearly i didn't know anything hmm. was going on in the story um but i played a lot of it and um it's definitely uh if you're looking for like a diablo style clone in that's like an earlier game uh, check out Nox. It's pretty good. I, I enjoyed what I played of it. I'm so happy to hear that you played Nox because I thought I was the only person in the world that had ever played that game. And I loved that game. It's good. I, really, I liked I, it more than I thought I would. <laughs> I, I, just, I got it at a GameStop like back in 2001. Two, I think 2001 2002 it was like it was you know big box version whatever it was like it was on pre-owned you know it was cheap and and I was in college so I only had the PC and I'm like I'll get this sure why not I love Diablo and I, I just finished Diablo 2 and I put it in and I started playing I'm like this is great like I it almost made me miss classes because I was like so addicted to it it's I'm like this is so such a good very game addictive. it is it's a it's a really really good it's I mean it's decidedly a Diablo clone like yes they're they like they're like we like we saw Diablo it sold well let's make this game and uh, but no but one talks about it's, it <laughs> it's so great though I I enjoyed it it's 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 also um uh I feel like a little more tactical because your uh perspectives far away farther away from your character versus like Diablo like Diablo you're like on top of your person but like um except for the the newest Diablo but I feel like Nox is pulled back a little bit farther so it's like and it plays faster than Diablo well plays faster than OG Diablo um especially like early Nox versus early Diablo definitely plays faster which is enjoyable and I loved the the gauntlet was it was great it's I feel like the gauntlet I was like was kind of intimidated by it and I was like but ultimately it was like I felt like a good challenge for like the beginning of the game I was like this is teaching me how to play the game without like making it too tough which was, was great I love things that aren't too tough that was back when Westwood Studios was like king of PC with yeah. Command and Conquer yeah. and Heroes of Might and Magic and stuff yeah I miss I miss old I miss old Westwood Studios those games were oh 
Mm. But yeah, so that's going to be our uh, our Mega Duck episode, and we were uh, graced with Barry for a guest seat this time instead of wow. um, we we had it in the actual studio instead of our premium sponsored lounge, um, and which has more comfortable chairs though. Before you guys give us way too much money. <laughs> 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 the chairs are so comfortable. Like the we go over to the studio and it's like milk crates. You wait. That's what you, I I thought. I was thought I was. You were all sitting in cardboard boxes because that's what I'm on. <laughs> oh, 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 that's right. Guests get the cardboard box. <laughs> uh, but so uh, Barry, do you want to just remind everybody what's going on in your world today? Yeah. So uh, you can find me over at Twitter at Hawk Hellfire, and uh, also now on Hive at Hawk Hellfire. If if, if this is going to be a thing, uh, we don't know. Uh, and then with Premium Edition Games. We are, uh, have four releases right now up for pre-order, which is Raji and Ancient Epic Enhanced Edition, They Bleed Pixels, Love 3, and Eagle Island Twist are all available right now in limited quantities. Uh, we have some of our other titles in hand, in stock, so you can order those all at premiumeditiongames.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Premium Edition 1, and all other social medias, you can find us at Premium Edition Games. And with Nintendo Fuse, you can find us at NintendoFuse.com, Twitter at NintendoFuse, and YouTube.com slash NintendoFuse for podcasts and other videos awesome and we will um we will include barry's links in the uh the show notes so those will be there for everyone to click so you can find us uh on social media uh on facebook instagram we're classic gaming brothers on twitter we're cg brothers pod we haven't joined hive yet but when we're there we'll let you know you can email us at classic gaming brothers at gmail.com be sure to check out our website classic gaming brothers.com you can check out all of our episodes in the classic gaming lounge which is the home page that has an embedded Podbean playlist <laughs> and of course you can uh find us on anywhere that podcasts are available and uh that's all that i have seth do you have anything you want to contribute don't play games like my brother don't play games like my brother and don't play games like me i've been seth and i've been zach and i've been barry and we've been the classic gaming brothers and And barry Barry. and barry (laughs) that's That's right. right